Hey, welcome to Calvary. However you found us, wherever you find yourself, you are so welcome. We are not a perfect church. If you come here long enough, you will be disappointed. But in the end, it's not really about us, is it? It's about Jesus. And there are a bunch of pretty good people here who passionately treasure Christ. This week, we're starting a new series. It's the story of Jonah, but it's also a preview of the story of Jesus. So it's going to lead us all the way up to Easter. And and more than once, you will hear me, hear me say, a, a lot can happen in three days. Because the hero of the story is not a whale. It's not about a whale. It's about a father God with a whale of a heart who pursues us in love. Pam Pena's story is shared in the book Surprised by Grace. She grew up in a, in a good home in the Jersey suburbs, but describes herself as an emotionally needed teenager who lacked self-confidence and felt worthless all the time. She ran to others for happiness. To, to please her friends, she began cutting school and drinking and smoking. She got pregnant at 16, and her boyfriend left her. She got an abortion. And she remembers at that moment thinking, maybe if I turn to God and just try harder to be good and do the right thing, he'll accept me and I'll be okay. Uh, you know, there's, there's more than one way to run from God, right? Some of us run from God by being as bad as we can. Some of us run from God by ignoring him as much as we can, hoping that we're just, you know, just enough to be in. <laughs> but some of us actually run from God by trying to be as good as we can be. But it's all still running from God. In his book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller writes, if you are avoiding sin and living morally so that God will have to bless you and save you, then you may be looking to Jesus as teacher, model, and helper, but you are avoiding him. You're running from him as savior. In other words, trying as hard as you can to try to be good is running from Jesus as your savior. Pam tried harder all she could Still trying to find life and people's acceptance, she began to obsess about her weight. She left home and went to a, a religious college, but religion and, and church, that didn't help because she was still running. She began compulsive dieting, exercising, even going to the bathroom and purging the food that she had eaten the meal before. After her so sophomore year, weak and thin and just tired from trying, she turned her back on God more fully, <laughs> intentionally. And she entered a stormy season, a dark place. Now listen, God's love is outrageously extravagant, ridiculously lavish, and he will spare no expense to pursue runners. In fact, he will even bring a storm. Maybe some of you are in a storm right now, kind of a dark place. But let me just ask you, what if that place has not been brought on by God's anger, but by his affection? What if this season you're going through right now is not the result of his punishment of you, but his passion for you? Pam left school and enrolled in Virginia Tech where she was introduced to cocaine, which started this downward spiral of cocaine and bulimia. At a New Year's Eve party, she went into the bathroom, emptied the cabinet of every drug she could find, took it, went home, and swallowed every pill. But someone found her and rescued her. Six weeks in a treatment center didn't take away the darkness, the storm still raged, and a year later, she intentionally drove onto a highway with her, with her eyes closed. She hit a bus. It was a horrific crash, but she walked away unhurt, unhurt but still hopeless. She just felt helpless and, and, and isolated, a failure. 
She's holding down two jobs, one to live off of and one for the drugs. She was living with a drug-free boyfriend, which which really made the relationship tense. One morning on the way to work, she thought, either this guy's going to catch me doing drugs and go nuts, or else or else I'm going to try to commit suicide again, and, and hopefully I can make it work this time. That morning, driving in her car, contemplating trying one more time to end her running, and in that moment, at the end of all her trying, she just began to cry out to God. And she was sobbing so hard that no sound would come from her throat. Her, her voice was shouting, Oh God, I, I want to live. And her own words there on the Hamburg Turnpike, the love of God came pouring into the car. She said, I finally gave up. In that moment, I finally gave up trying to be loved by people. I I quit striving for approval. I saw my self-deception. He brought back to my mind moments of life all the way back to the time I was five. It was like he was saying, I have always loved you. Finally, I saw what I'd been missing. And I seemed to fall into God's arms. And I just said, I give up. I will believe that you love me. Can I ask you, do you believe that he loves you? Listen, with all my heart, all I want for this new series that we're in is for every one of us to be, to more deeply believe, to more deeply believe that God loves us. I want us to know his love and experience his love and rest in the reality of his love and peace, find peace in the reality that you are relentlessly loved with an indiscriminate affection. And he is chasing you down, pursuing you in love. Which leads us to Jonah. So let's take a moment to meet Jonah. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can find Jonah. It's near the back of the Old Testament. It's hard to find, but if you start hitting Amos, Joel, Obadiah, stuff like that, you'll you'll run into Jonah. And if not, you you can see it on the screen or look in your phones, whatever it is. But let's let's meet Jonah. Most of us know Jonah with an and, right? Jonah and the whale. And in fact, we might even get the story a little bit confused with a man named Geppetto and a little wooden kid with a nose that grows. And actually, there is no Geppetto. There are no wooden kids that come to life. But there is a hard heart and a great city that finds life. And, and ultimately, the main character in the story of Jonah is not a whale. It's God. It's a God who has a whale of a heart because the story of Jonah reveals the heart of a God who passionately pursues running rebels to pour out his reckless love. This is his story. Now, now here's how God's story in this chapter of the life of Jonah begins. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he ran. He, He sailed, but really, he's on the run. Now, before you shake your head in disgust, like he ran from God, This was perhaps the hardest assignment that God has ever given anyone other than Jesus. Think of the hardest thing God could ever ask you to do and then multiply it by 10. And on a scale of difficulty, you can just barely begin to see Jonah's assignment on the horizon of hard. So let me introduce you to the story. First of all, Jonah was a prophet of God. 
He, he had a spiritual role in his community, in his country, but he was a prophet, not a priest. Now, priests were, were more like pastors. They served in the temple. They led worship. They comforted people. They helped them connect to God in deep, meaningful ways. But a prophet was more of a convictor than a comforter. They, they challenged the status quo. Prophets had a nose for evil, and they were, they were kind of divine troublemakers. Israel always seemed to have a lot of priests, but usually just one prophet at a time because who could handle more? Jonah was a prophet of God with a message from God. Messages from God, that was his life. He was all about hearing and delivering the word of the Lord. He was familiar with the word of the Lord. The words of the Lord often had common themes like the loving kindness of God, the faithfulness of God, and reminders that it really matters to God how we live. And, and usually the message, the word was for Israel and it was delivered in Israel. But in this case, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, go to Nineveh. So the prophet of God had a message from God for a messed up city, because <laughs> that's what Nineveh was. God calls it a great city, and that word great pops up a lot in, in Jonah. There's a great city and a great storm and a great fear and a great fish, and, and behind it all is the great heart of God for a, a greatly messed up city, because Nineveh was, man, Nineveh, Nineveh was, was messed up. God said their evil has risen before me. In other words, their junk stunk to high heaven. So, so let me just tell you a little bit about Nineveh. It was the capital of Assyria. And in the 7th and 8th centuries BC, before Christ, Assyria was the dominant world power. Man, it ate other nations for lunch. They, they practiced genocide as a, a cultural norm, and they were hated throughout the world. They, they celebrated atrocities, celebrated Atrocities. When, when Israel split into two countries, a northern and a southern kingdom, the, the north was obliterated, completely destroyed by Assyria. At Nahum, uh, comes after Jonah, another prophet of God, he, he wrote these words. He said, Woe to Nineveh, <laughs> woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victim, piles of dead, people stumbling over corpses. And, and Nahum in that, that portion of scripture was predicting the fall of Nineveh. And he continued to say that when people hear the news about your fall, they will stand and cheer. That's Nineveh. It's like Al-Qaeda, Nazi Germany, Stalin's Russia, and the 1994 Hutus in Rwanda all rolled up into one great messed up city. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. So Jonah ran from the presence of God. And I have to ask, ask yourself, am I running? Right now, just in, in this moment, am I running from the presence of God? You know, in reality, our, our culture has developed some really significant skills in, in running. We're a cancel, proud, bed-hopping, online shopping beer-guzzling people. We, we run to drugs and alcohol regardless of how vulnerable it makes us. We run to Amazon for stuff to fill up holes that aren't shaped for things. We run to theme parks for a bit of a thrill or maybe even some cheap community. We run to social media to see what we're missing, who likes us, who notices us. We, we run to the safety and comfort zones of doing what I want when I want to do it. And why all the running? 
It's because we're looking for something, right? We're, we're seekers of pleasure and peace and happiness and safety and comfort and control and community, anything that will satisfy our desires. And, and listen, you, you may be surprised to hear me say this, but there is nothing wrong with seeking to satisfy the desires of our hearts. God put them there. The, the longing for joy, for peace, even to be happy, I, I'm convinced with all my heart that's a God-given desire. The problem is not the desire. The problem is that we're running in the wrong direction to satisfy those desires. We're running in the wrong direction if we aren't running in God's direction. And when we run from the word of the Lord, we're running from the presence of God. Look again at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Really, at least one of the themes of Jonah is it's a story about the high cost of running from God. You know, I was thinking about this. Some of us consider ourselves seekers. Maybe you do. We're on a spiritual journey. And and if you're on a sincere search for for spirituality, for God, it has a seeking quality to it. You, You ask questions and you read books and you talk to others and you deal honestly with doubt. You look for truth that sometimes seems elusive. You're seeking, you're seeking. And listen to me, the heart of God welcomes seekers. But God would say that's probably only part of our story because at heart we're not only seekers, we're, we're runners. Are you running from God today? The word of God came to Jonah saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. And so Jonah ran to Tarshish. Now, now Joppa, it mentions that. Joppa then is Tel Aviv now. It was like the coastal part of Tel Aviv. And, and Nineveh was 550 miles that way. So you got Joppa, Tel Aviv here. Nineveh is 550 miles that way. And then Tarshish is about 2,500 miles that way. Jonah, Jonah's headed as far from the word of the Lord as he could get. These last few weeks, I can't get away from that thought as I've been thinking about Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he ran from the presence of God. See, when we run from the word, we run from God. And you know, the the word of the Lord can come to us in many different ways. I I have no idea how the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Was Was it a whisper mixed with a measure of holy discontent? Was it was it an audible voice or a message delivered by an angel? Did it, did it come in a dream? Was it definite or, or did it leave room for doubt? Did, did he bring it to Mrs. Jonah to see what she thought it all meant? I, I don't know, but I do know this. We won't learn today. We won't learn to hear the word of the Lord come to us in, in his whispers, in his dreams, if we rarely seek the word of the Lord in the Bible. If we won't listen and learn and lean into the word that comes, what did you do the last time the word of the Lord came to you? Maybe it was something you heard in a sermon or or the Spirit made the word, the, the scriptures come alive as you were reading one evening. However it came, you, you had this, this gripping moment of conviction, a realization, huh, I think that was for me. God was talking to me. When, when that happened, did you lean in and grab on or did you... Walk away and forget. Did you run to it or did you run away from it? And you know, sometimes it's subtle. Running from the word of the Lord can be as subtle 
<laughs> it can be as subtle as hearing that loving our neighbors is the second greatest command, but never taking the time to even know my neighbor's name. That's one of the first things that occurred to me this time around in studying Jonah's story. I can't run, run from people God loves without running from the God who loves people. I can't run from people God loves without running from the God who loves people. So, so I run from God. And, and what happens? God sends a storm. <laughs> Look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. The Hebrew word is actually hurled. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and, and all the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And, and sooner or later, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. It's a mighty storm. The Lord hurled a great wind and a violent storm arose. That, that's a little bit hard, right? I mean, it's okay that God would use a storm that just comes into my life, but does he actually send the storm? This one he did. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that God's presence isn't only in the still small whisper. Sometimes it's in the storm. And and I'm not trying to pour out guilt, but sometimes, listen to me, sometimes my running brings a storm of hurt to others. Like Jonah's running brought a storm of hurt to these sailors. These sailors are, man, they're fighting for their jobs and fearing for their lives. And where's Jonah? He's down in the bottom of the ship. Don't miss that. It's significant. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to the bottom of the ship. And before long, he'll be on his way down to the depths of the sea. Once he turns his back on God, his direction is down. And on the way, he can't help but drag people down with him. Do you want to know if you're running from God? One way to figure out is look at the people around you. Is your life a blessing to them? Or are they caught up in your storms? The story continues in Jonah chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. It says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked Jonah, what, what should we do? <laughs> what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault. This great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. When they tried to row to land, it got worse. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. And and you know what? The, The story starts to turn here. Jonah's ready to stop running. I mean, he's still got to go to the bottom of the sea, but I'm telling you, he's, he's ready. He's thinking about it. And you can tell because two things happen. He takes his eyes off of himself, and his heart starts to soften. See, when he ran to Tarshish, it was all about him. It was what, about what he wanted to do, what he wanted from life, and what he didn't want to do. And, and, and when we run from God, it's usually all about me. And our turnaround, our turnaround begins when we get our eyes off ourselves and and we let our hearts soften. The, the story turns when I start to care. So what do I care about? What do you care about? Who, who do we care for? It's interesting. I, I wonder if Jonah was convicted by the sailor's compassion. 
they, they threw lots to see whose fault it was. The lot falls on Jonah. The sailors believe Jonah is the source of the storm. Jonah agrees. He tells them it's because he's running from God. He tells them their only hope is to throw him overboard. And yet then, in knowing all of that, they do everything they can to save Jonah. <laughs> These salty pagan sailors care more about Jonah than Jonah cares about Nineveh. How often do we care more about ourselves than we care about the people God loves? So they row. <laughs> and I just think in the midst of the rowing, Jonah makes the turn. He takes his eyes off himself to realize that he's causing this great storm in the lives of these men, and he starts to care. So, so ask yourself, am I willing now, right at this moment, am I willing to stop running and start caring? Because at the heart of the story of Jonah is the story of a heart that lavishly loves runaway Jonah and a bunch of anxious, fearful sailors and a messed up, evil city. And you. (laughs) And me. Because this story, let me say it again, it's not about a whale. The whale gets a lot of press. But ultimately, it's not about a whale. It's about a father, a God who has a whale of a heart. It's about the heart of a God who passionately pursues us with indiscriminate affection. It's, it's a tale of God's radical redemption and a reminder that a lot can happen in three days. The scene ends in Jonah chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, where it says, then they, they took Jonah, they threw him overboard. Imagine that, picture that in your mind. And as soon as they threw him overboard, the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It's not about the whale, it's about the heart of Father God who pursues running rebels with reckless love. Last month, I got an email from a Calvary friend who moved away a few years ago. She's gone through so much difficulty, so many hardships in her past, in her grown up, medical, relational abuse, so, so many storms, some of her own making, some from others. She wrote this in the email. She said, I'll always remember the sermon you gave years ago, asking us to reflect on the storms in our life. And for whatever reason, she said, I had never thought of my life as a series of events that were truly storms. She, she wrote, I, I wept that day in church because I think for the first day I heard God speaking. For the first time I heard God speak to me, the word of the Lord came to her. I heard God speak to me saying, I've seen you in your storms. I was there by your side for every one of them and you can speak of them without shame. You're not a bad person. I love you. I loved you then and I love you now and I always will. She wrote later, I had a vision of Jesus and the woman at the well, except it was me. Jesus was talking to me, knowing my sins. He was talking to me. In that moment, I felt so accepted and loved and forgiven. You, you have said, she writes, one day your brokenness will become untrue. One day your falling will become walking. And until that day, God is not done yet and neither are you. I cry every time I hear that, she wrote, because I know, I really know he loves me. And it's given me hope for the future. 
Do you understand? His love is recklessly lavish. It's, it's poured out, like Lynn pours out her love on our grandkids and everyone else around her. The way a, a groom looks at his bride as she comes down the aisle, the fierce sacrificial love of a parent for a child on the run, relentlessly loved with a fierce love. <laughs> you, know, you know what I love in, in this scene in Jonah? I love how a boat filled with sailors who don't even know the God of Jonah, who don't even know there's a God. This boat, it becomes a house of worship because people turn their hearts to God and God pours out his overwhelming, undeniable love. And when God shows up, listen, we can have church anywhere. (laughs) And it just leaves me again with a question. Am I ready to stop running? Are you ready to stop running and start paying attention to God? About two weeks ago, some of you know this, I spent four hours in the overflow of the Asbury outpouring. Asbury is a Christian college in Kentucky with weekly chapels, and and on Wednesday, February 8th, they had a a normal chapel. In fact, maybe less than normal because the speaker texted his wife afterwards after he spoke and said something like, not one of my better messages. No one responded. The chapel basically emptied out, but a few students stuck around to pray, and, and then not long after that, students started coming back. Some stirred by the Spirit and some by a text from a friend. Spirit can work that way too. And that led to about 350 plus hours of unstopped, unhindered prayer and worship and repentance and scripture reading confession and worship and prayer. And within a few days, thousands were coming from the surrounding area. Overflow rooms were set up. People were waiting in line to worship. Something stirred inside me to go. So since I I was coming back from a a leadership conference in Dallas, I I rerouted my flight home through Louisville. I got to the little town of Wilmore, Kentucky, a bit before 10 o'clock at night on February 17th. Honestly, it was late. It was below freezing, like 30 degrees. There was hint of snow, a biting, uh, a biting freezing wind. And I, oh, there's not going to be much of a line, but I, I got there and the line extended for blocks and blocks. There were hundreds of people waiting at 10 o'clock to get inside. They'd set up a screen on the lawn in front of the chapel. So I just, I got out of the line and I just worshiped outside on the line at 10 o'clock at night in 30 degree weather with a couple hundred people. It was so good. It was just, it was good to be surrounded by people who are hungry for God. And I, I sang and I prayed and I cried for a couple of hours. Hopeful tears, tears of gratitude for the amazing love of Father God. At midnight, I made it into the chapel. 1,500 in the chapel, hundreds still outside, four overflow rooms, and thousands were still there at 2 a.m. When, when it closed. Inside, it was multi-generational, but watching the students worship, a lot of passion, but not a lot of hype. Not a lot of who's who, but a lot of he's here. A call to radical humility, times of repentance and confession. And, and at least while I was there, the altar was rarely not full. The, the next two days, the Saturday and the Sunday, the crowds quadrupled. 20,000 people on the lawn, people standing in lines longer than a mile, waiting over eight hours to get in. Some of them still not getting in. Such hunger. I'm telling you, there is a hunger In here, if we will stop ignoring him and stop running and start paying attention, there's a hunger that will cause us to run, to run to him. (laughs) Lynn asked me when I came home, what do you think is the difference between there and here? And and I don't know, I think at this moment, I think it, it might be nothing more than just the difference of attention. There was a smallish group at Asbury who for years 
for years, decades, have been paying attention to Jesus, praying for revival. And, and at some point, as they paid attention, others did too. And then, and then more and more. And I'm telling you, God is drawn towards the attention of our hearts. Jonah didn't pay attention. He ran from God. He ran headfirst into the storm of God. And he, and he hit bottom in the belly of a well on the dark side of the sea. He was there three days and three nights. Have you ever run from God and found yourself in a dark place, ever desperately needed God to show up with his power and his presence, turn darkness into light and weakness into hope? You know what I know? At the heart of our faith, this, this stuff that we, we express and we live into, at the heart of it is this encouragement. A lot can happen in three days. Why? Because we are deeply loved. You are. You really are. You can run, but he won't stop pursuing you. He delights in you with unrelenting affection, like a father delights in his kid for the sheer joy of it. When he looks at you, his heart is filled with the love. His face is filled with delight. And because you are loved, man, a lot can happen in three days. A lot happened for Jonah. In the weeks to come, we'll see a lot happen for Nineveh. And from the cross on Good Friday to the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday, the most famous three-day story, in three days, Jesus changed the world. He rewrote our story. You know, when the New Testament writers attempt to describe God's love, they make a beeline for the cross of Christ. And every time I think of the cross, I, just, I think of his arms open wide. When I think of the immensity of God's love, I, I have to pause at the price he paid to love me. And that's what communion that we celebrate today, that's what communion is all about. Jesus wasn't forced to die. He wasn't outnumbered, overpowered, or tricked into it. He, he chose the cross. He chose the cross because he loves us. And as I connect the dots of all that God is doing in these days with all my heart. I believe Father is removing the distractions and wooing us home to his heart. I look out over our neighborhoods, our country, our world, and, and all I can see is his arms open wide. So listen, it's time to stop running. It's time to pay attention. It's time to let him love you. It's time to run to his love. Father, I pray for each and every person listening. God, I pray for a supernatural experience of your heart, of your love. I pray that that, that even maybe before that happens, because sometimes we, we need to believe it before we experience it. I, I pray that by your Spirit, you would settle deep in our hearts the truth and the reality that we would believe that you love us, that we would believe that you love us, that we would change the narrative and flip the script that's always going on in our minds that we're disappointment to you, that we got to work harder for you to love us, that, that there's something we can do to earn it, that, that we'll never earn it. And instead, that we would believe that you love us. God, would you pour your love out upon each and every person listening, wherever they are, whenever they are, however they are. God, I thank you that as we celebrate communion, as we look to the cross of Christ, we cannot help but be reminded of the heart of Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.